Ready to stop trading time for money and build a business that can scale? Then you're in good company. This is the Productize Podcast, where I chat with entrepreneurs who've transformed their businesses using the Productize service model. I'm your host, Brian Castle. Want to learn my best strategies for productizing your business? Then get my free crash course by going to productizecourse.com. Now let's get into the show. All right, got a bit of a different episode for you today on the Productize Podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to my friend Galen Vilt, uh, Vinter. Excuse me, Galen Vinter. He's the founder of ProjectPulse.io, and uh, and they run a, um, a, a kind of a project status update tool for for agencies. But actually, they're in the process of iterating that tool and possibly starting a new or launching a new version of it, which would be tailored more at productized services. So. So Galen actually reached out to me and asked if he could pick my brain about how we run our operations at Audience Ops. And of course, I, I obliged, and I thought it would be actually a good opportunity to record this and let you guys be kind of a fly on the wall for this conversation. Um, and I'm glad that we, re- we recorded it because we got into uh, uh, quite a few interesting things, kind of behind-the-scenes look at how Audience Ops runs. So we talked about um, how we communicate with our clients, without letting things fall through the cracks, um, how we're actually scaling up the team and our service, talked about various tools that we use to track our progress throughout our service, and we also talked about the specific canned email responses that we send to our clients at various stages, as well as internally um, between our teammates, which make a really efficient workflow um, in a lot of different ways. So that that, that should be interesting to, to listen in on. Uh, we covered a, a much more than, than just that. So I think you'll enjoy this one. Um, stay tuned. And, uh, and here we go. So you've been running Project Pulse, and, you've, and that's been operating for, for a while now, and, and you've done a lot of learning. So I'm, I'm curious to know, how does Project Pulse work as a product, and, and what are your thoughts on, on what the next product or the next iteration of this um, will be, or, or how will it be different from Project Pulse? Sure. Yeah. So Project Pulse is uh, centered around the idea that client communication on projects is is a pain point um, for consultants and um, consultants and agencies. Uh, so anyone providing services. And the the key problems that we were trying to solve out of the gate were, um, you know, we want an app that uh, takes care of explaining in a really simple view where a project is. So a project status, current status, right. um, and what the plan is looking forward. Um, and we wanted to be able to share that view with clients um, in real time, so like not a downloaded PDF. Um, so we wanted to share that with clients immediately without the clients logging in. Mm-hmm. And we wanted that view to also be something that the client understood intuitively, not, not something that they had to learn. There was no clicking, there's no uh, trying to un- understand what's going on. So concepts like milestones and deliverables needed to be integrated into that view, but needed to be self-explanatory. Right. Yeah, I, I really love that idea of not requiring the client to log in. And that's something that I've been a big um, proponent of for, for many years. I mean, I, I used to do, you know, web design work uh, for clients and um, I would use various project management tools over the years, but I always use them internally. Even even today with Audience Ops, we, we've got our own tools that we use, but they're completely internal and they're kind of invisible to the client. Mm-hmm. And I, I just always thought that that was important and just like make it simple on the client, you know, and, and let them, let them see what they need to see or what they want to see. 
Exactly. And, and I mean, there are definitely clients out there who have used Basecamp in the past, for example, um, but not all do. And so if you're, you know, all of your projects rely on Basecamp and your client doesn't want to use it, then you're kind of, you're at a standstill in terms of, you know, breaking your process. And so any, any process that you have, any kind of universal process you want to set, um, it has to basically get along with, with the clients who both will and won't use a system. And so that, that's definitely like a, a huge barrier um, for a lot of applications that, you know, you could, you could technically invite your client into, but you won't necessarily uh, get um, participation. Right. right. Cool. So, so we, we kind of, you know, that was the first stage of the app was getting the, the status page live, so a project status page. Um, and then the second piece was um, where it was really thinking about uh, status reports and, and, you know, in real time, the same concept of having a landing page um, and being able to have a live view of a status report, but really pulling from um, the deliverables and delivering that via email. Because what we um, knew is that, you know, clients also, everyone uses email, and people want things delivered directly to their email. And so, things that happen in an app need to also be translated directly to email. And so, that was our um, our first kind of um, deep dive into delivering kind of all the information a client wants to email. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I love that too. Like not requiring them to go bookmark a site or log in somewhere. It's just it's coming to them in their email inbox. I, I like it. And so, I guess so the, for the question of you know where where are we going now? I, I think the the most important next step is is really playing on that last point. Um, we know that um, the universal tool used by everyone is email, and regardless of what your personal views are on whether email is dying or not, um, it's it doesn't seem to be. We don't think it's going anywhere, and we know it's not going anywhere. And I uh, happen to fully agree with that, and I hear that all the time. You know, email is dying, and you see these apps pop up like, oh, it's going to be the email killer. I just don't agree with that. It's I feel like email is being used more today than ever. You know, I I totally dig the ex excitement around like email killers, but I just don't buy it either. I just yeah, yeah. I'm hold your horses. Um, <laughs> and I and I think that's you know Slack. I'm I'm a huge Slack user, but I don't. But Slack is not an email killer either. I um, I agree with that too. And and that's yeah, people call Slack an email killer. I just don't see it that way. It, I I think it's it's a chat tool. I mean that's what it is, and and it works well for that. You know? Totally. Totally, yeah. And I was, I mean, I go way back to like Google Wave. I don't know if you remember Google Wave. Oh, yeah. I thought Google Wave was awesome. And it just, it like did everything and nothing at the same time. And I just, but I just dug like the, it had some really cool features. But, um, but yeah, there's just no email. We don't believe in the email killer thing yet. We haven't seen anything yet. Um, but we do think that playing nicely with, with Slack or HipChat or other communication tools is really important. And so we understand that lots of agencies actually make a, like a private Slack channel for, and invite their, their um, clients in. And so that, that we totally appreciate and totally respect. Yeah. Um, but playing off of, you know, really kind of the foundation of, you know, bringing things to email is kind of your, your strongest foot forward. Um, our, the new um, app that we're focusing on is really um, around, you know, enhancing those emails and, and, and owning the email and making, uh, bringing all the email um, that you send to clients under one roof. Um, there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about some of your scaling issues in particular, in particular and how your team um, shares client communication. Sure. But when you, um, but what we found kind of with, with other agencies is that they don't, um, they have this problem where sharing client communications is actually hard. It actually ends up being like forwarding multiple emails. Um, and then you say to yourself, you know, three months into a project, I remember back three months ago, 
uh, we promise something. And then you realize you don't know if you promised it or someone told you that they promised it. And, and it's not in your inbox, so you need to ask them to go look through their inbox. And so there's all these, um, so really what it comes down to is like, you don't really care who said it or when it was said, you just want to know what was said. You want to know what the actual communication was. Right. And if it doesn't all live in one place, um, if it lives in everyone's, you know, everyone's inboxes individually, and it's not searchable, and it's not really associated with a client, just um, associated with individuals, um, then it's kind of lost. It, it actually becomes. I mean, you can make the argument that that Gmail searches is super powerful and gives you everything you want, but the truth is, it is it becomes as buried as as Slack. Um, conversations can become buried right and so there's a really important um, concept that we don't do in chat and we don't really do an email because we email so much is that um, you don't you don't like set milestones you don't flag um, emails as saying hey like this email has this purpose and it was set in time and I want to I want to memorialize what was going on here this is a stats report that, that is really gonna matter in the future or this is an approval that was made by a client um, that we want to have a kind of a data association with it. We want to say at the end of the project, we want to say, "Hey, I want to line up all the approvals that happened in a project and just know that like we got 24 out of 24 approvals or or whatever it is." Yeah. Um, and so and so kind of bringing um, not not removing email from the equation, but bringing all the all those other pieces of that's con usually considered part of project management into email, and and so creating more rich email, and then also organizing those emails um, on on our app side is yeah. is what our kind of focus is moving forward. Well, I, I mean, I'd love to. I could talk for days about how how we handle those those problems in audience ops. Um, I could talk all about that in, in just a minute. I guess the thing, you know, like. You're, like really, the purpose of this call, the way it came about, is is you wanted to have a conversation about about how we do operations at, at Audience Ops and how it might inform the development of, of of your of the next iteration of your product. I just yeah. like I wonder how much of this would be what I'm going to talk about is like specific to Audience Ops and like our own unique needs and requirements. And like I don't know how much of that can actually be translated to a tool because it what what we need is, it might be pretty different from what like a broader customer base might need you know um but yeah, I, I i mean i guess I mean, like everyone says that it's it's really it's totally it's totally great i i really appreciate that but it's it's funny that everyone definitely that there's customizations to workflows that workflows are very specific to both you and the kind of clients you're serving but i, I we've actually found in having loads and loads of user conversations and prospective user conversations is that uh, that there, you can definitely distill down some of the basics, um, sure. especially when it comes to client communication. When you uh, when you're working with email, like there's only so many different ways of doing it. Yeah. Uh, well, so I, 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 there's definitely common points. Yeah, I mean, I so email specifically, we we use Help Scout, and um, and I actually uh, I'm, I actually really like it for for a lot of the reasons that that you're talking about, and and I did I used Help Scout in the same way in my previous business, Restaurant Engine. Um, as we do here in audience ops. And so basically the idea is um, for our clients in audience ops, they, they're they in touch with one email address. That's that's hello at audienceops.com. And on our end, which is completely invisible to the client, um, all that email is going into Help Scout. And, uh, and then that's operated. I mean, right now it's mostly operated by our, by our one project manager. Her name is Kat. Um, but occasionally I'll hop into conversations in Help Scout. Um, we have we actually have another project manager as well who who sometimes goes in there, um, and so that's that's what allows us to have multiple people 
hopping in and out of conversations without having different email addresses. And so mm-hmm. every, so all the client needs to be in touch with is hello at audiencehops.com. Um, and so I, I think we use Help Scout a little bit differently than, than most of most other Help Scout users. Like most of them use it as like a customer support help desk for, mm-hmm. for their software or whatever. Um, in our case, we, we actually use it more of as like an outbound tool rather than like an inbound tool from you know, th- we're, we're, we're not, we're not so much fielding lots of inbound emails from our clients. We do occasionally, but for the most part, it's, it's us generating emails out to our clients where, um, well, like, like what you deal with, like we, we basically give them status updates. So every Monday, um, Kat will send an email to all of our clients saying, you know, here's the preview of, of next week's article that we've, what, that we've, you know, uh, set up for you. Um, She'll also send out like monthly reports coming out from Help Scout uh, and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, a few features that we really like about Help Scout is, like I said, having one consolidated email address, allowing multiple people on my team to go in and out and, and of those conversations. Um, another thing that we use pretty often is the notes feature inside Help Scout. So sometimes Kat will get a question from a client and, and she'll say, you know, She'll, she'll write an internal note to me saying, hey, Brian, I'm not sure how, how I should answer this or maybe maybe it's better for you to answer this. Um, and then I can go in there and, and see that note right in line with with the public conversation, not public, but you know between me and the client. Um, and so that's, that's kind of cool. Or sometimes I'll just give Kat like instructions in a note, like this is how you can reply. Um, so that's cool. The other, the other thing that I like about using Help Scout for, for email with a team is that... Um, it's easy to send links back and forth to convers to specific conversations. So, so we also use Slack um, internally for our team, and and um, so sometimes Cat will say to me in Slack, you know, um, hey, you know, this client had had this question. I, I I left you a note about it. Here's the link, you know, to that conversation and pointing directly to Help Scout. And then all I need to do is click that link, and and I'm immediately looking at that conversation. So that that's pretty helpful. Um, but then, it makes total sense. Yeah, what like there there are a few holes I think. Um, like one another big tool that we heavily heavily rely on is Trello, and um, and that's what we use to manage our production line okay. of uh, of articles. So every article, and this is again this is like completely invisible to our clients. But but on our end, what we do is every article that's in production has a Trello card. And it basically moves, you know, from left to right through through a Trello board as it as it reaches different stages. Like it's it's upcoming. Now it's in draft. Now it's in um, editing. And now it's being set up in WordPress. Uh, we're setting up the social media posts. We're doing the newsletter. Then it goes into our final check, like final quality assurance check. Then it goes to Cat sending the preview to the client. Then it's published. And then after that, it goes to promotion and syndication. And so it's it's just like a long. Production so is, line, it, basically. Is, is that like 12 or 15 columns in Trello? Um, I'm not looking at it right now, but I, I think it's like eight or 10, something like okay. that. Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then like each Trello card itself has, has like its own checklist. Uh, and, and then we, our, the teammates also write, write comments on the Trello card just to, to give status updates internally. Like, okay, this one's ready for editing or this one's ready for setup in WordPress, something like that. Um, and so we use that pretty heavily. I don't know if there's there there is a way to do this, but we have not set it up. It is to have a connection between Help Scout and Trello. Mm. Um, 
I, I guess there are kind of integrations, but I don't know if they would integrate in the way that we need them to. Um, yeah, what would you want? Uh, it would be cool to see, um, as like if if we're if we're in a conversation with a client, then in the sidebar in Help Scout to have a direct link to to their cards in the Trello board. Um, and how do you how do you associate cards with uh, clients? That's probably where where the integration would break down, <laughs> um, but mm. but the way that we we do it is um, uh, how do we do it? Oh, in Trello we use labels, uh, and and each each client has a label, so okay. and and then that's what allows us to, um, you know, we have a lot of clients now, which means we have a ton of articles going through our production line at any given time, and so we we also use filters in in Trello, so at at any given time, you know, we can. We can just use the filter, say like filter by this label or filter by this client name, and then we're only seeing articles or only seeing cards for that client. Um, so, I mean, in in Help Scout, it would be cool if we had a in in the right sidebar when you're looking at a conversation with a particular client, maybe like show me all cards or show me links to all cards that have the label with that client's name on it. Um, that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what else what else would you would you want to be added to Help Scout? Like how would I know the Help Scout's like you said is kind of not for uh, it's more of a help desk. But if if you could add something else to Help Scout, what would it be? Yeah, another thing. This this isn't really related to client communication. I, I guess maybe sometimes it is, but um, it would also be nice to integrate uh, Help Scout with Stripe. And and again, I think I think these integrations probably already exist. I just haven't really looked into them. Um, but it would be cool for, to be able to see if so. If I'm looking at a conversation with a, a particular client in Help Scout, to immediately have a link pointing to that client's billing profile in Stripe. Uh, you know, cool. because I I often find if 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 I ever need to deal with a with a billing issue with a client or or just to re- look at their account for for a second what i what often happens is i have to first search help scout for that client's email address and then separately search stripe for that client's email address and, yep. and to kind of pull up the two profiles and it'd be nice to have those linked um, yeah we use stripe internally and i i, I feel you on the on the stripe search it's a, a brilliant api a brilliant platform and their their actual gui is uh, yeah a little lackluster yep briefly so um, is their style. So, so what else? So, besides besides the Trello and the Help Scout, like how else do you kind of automate, um, kind of automate in quotes, uh, the client projects? Because you guys do seem to like have this awesome assembly line built. Like, what what are what are other res- um, other um, ingredients to that recipe? Uh, well, I'm you know I'm I'm like a a, a freak about standard operating procedures <laughs> and, <laughs> and documenting everything and giving my team as much training materials as they probably way more than they even need. But, um, but you know, we heavily use Google docs for that. So we, we also use Google docs to draft articles, but that's, that's a separate folder in Google docs. We have another folder in Google docs called operations. And, and inside that um, we've got several folders containing procedures um, so we've got like an article production procedure. We've got a procedure for setting an, setting up an article in WordPress. A procedure for setting up our social media, like social media posts for a client. Procedures for setting up a drip email. Um, you know, all pro- at this point, 
I'd say 50 plus different procedure documents um, that wow. that we have. And it's not like the team refers to those every single day, but they, they do refer to them heavily when they're like new to the team and they're learning our processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just a way to, to, to be able to keep everything that we do documented and, and making sure that we always do things in a very standard way. And we're not, we don't do things for one client differently than we do them for another client. I think that's really important for a productized service. Um, and uh, it, it it makes it easy to, to make the service run really efficiently. It also makes it easy to onboard new teammates um, when, when teammates come in and out of the team. Um, and, and it also just makes us uh, really efficient and, and like I'm constantly going back to these procedures and finding ways, all right, how can we, how can we improve this? How can we make it better, higher quality, faster? You know, um, maybe this step isn't necessary or maybe we need to remember to always do this and just like constantly going back to those Google docs and and documenting those, those changes. Um, And are the, are are, um, canned responses part of those documents? Like do you have actual outlines? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, we also use canned responses heavily, um, both in Help Scout, like uh, Kat will, will use them pretty heavily in her emails to clients. Um, as of today, as of this recording, I still heavily use my personal uh, Gmail account um, for, so uh, really mostly for all the sales, like when I'm, when I'm talking to, to potential clients and prospects. As of right now, I'm, I'm the only salesperson uh, actually on my to-do list over the next couple of weeks is to onboard our, our first sales rep that, that isn't me. Um, cool. So I th- thanks. Um, well, I'm I'm kind of scared scared about it because it's, <laughs> it's it's a big undertaking. I'm still kind of figuring out my way through it. But um, if, like for now, all the sales related emails are are contained in my personal Gmail account. I think once we have a sales team, I'll need to. Um, I mean, what I did in Restaurant Engine when I did bring on a salesperson was we also used help used Help Scout for that, and we just created a separate mailbox like like sales at at the company um in help scout we, we might do that we, I, I might just look at other crm tools um but so i i i personally use canned responses in my in my gmail account quite a bit um i've got like a canned response so i can go through a few of them um yeah uh well i don't know what's more relevant to you like my sales related emails or or the stuff that that Kat sends to existing clients, because well, she's, well, she's got a whole list of canned responses there too. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, what we're focusing on is actually both. Um, we don't. We're not. Um, you know, we don't want to say, "Oh, we're the the Help Scout and the um, the CRM and the whatever of of um, client services." But we definitely see that um, a lot of um, consultants and, and agencies, uh, you know, don't necessarily they're not necessarily big enough to to have a CRM especially not to pay for one because they can get pretty pricey pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and that's and, been us. Like, like I, I'd say right now we're still kind of in that boat. Like it doesn't make sense to invest heavily in, in, in like an expensive CRM. Yeah. And, and partially probably because, you, you, you know, you can't scale exponentially like yet maybe or because you don't have a sales team of more than a couple people. Like it's just, yeah, it doesn't quite make sense. And so we're actually working on um, uh, focusing on both because we think that, um, you know, you should be able to transition a prospect into a client, um, and then into a past client, and back to into a client. Uh, yeah, seems like you shouldn't be switching systems. That's that's kind of um, it becomes mayhem. A bit. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, I'm pretty happy with our um, like the the process that I go through with a with a new lead who comes into to audience ops, and it involves a number of canned responses. So basically, um, somebody fills out the the consultation form on the homepage of our of our website. That comes straight into my my personal email address email inbox. Um, from there, sometimes I might customize the response, but for the most part, I, I just use the, a canned response that, that gives a quick reply that says, you know, hey, thanks for getting in touch. I'd love to, t- I'd love to talk to you about company name. Um, here's my link to my Calendly uh, ad- address, which is a, a brilliant tool for, for scheduling appointments. Cool. Um, and uh, so that's in, in the canned response and then talk soon. And then, you know, usually later that week or maybe the next week, um, the person has scheduled an appointment on my calendar. Um, I get on the call with them. I do the consultation. And then immediately after that consultation, I fire off a a canned response email to my virtual assistant who, and and so that, that canned response says, um, okay, this was the client's company name. This is the client's first name, last name. Um, and, uh, like who their target customer is. And then, and then I have a couple of options, you know, use template one or template two or template three. And those refer to, um, which plans we're recommending for that client. So, so for example, um, say I just spoke to, you know, company ABC and, um, and it was John Smith and, uh, and, and they serve, um, uh, SaaS owners who care about analytics, um, then I'll I'll fire off the the canned response email to my VA. It says, you know, company ABC, John Smith, target customer is SaaS owners who care about analytics. Um, let's use template one for them, and mm-hmm. just just based on that, my VA will then go. Uh, he'll he'll create a proposal. We we use a, a tool called Nusi N U S I I for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically a proposal tool. Um, inside Nusi, we have a number of template proposals, like well, just a couple of template pr- proposals, which kind of outline certain plans. And we only offer like two plans. It's a very standardized productized service. So it's like kind of plan one or plan two. And um, and sometimes we offer them like the option of both. And um, and so 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 my VA will will, will create that proposal. And then what he'll also do is go into audienceops.com, into our WordPress site, and generate a, a special page just for that client with like that client's name on it with the purchase button on that page. And so then he, my VA will, will reply to me and say, here's the link to the proposal and here's the link to the purchase page. And he'll just give me those two URLs. And then I fire off an email to, to the lead, to the prospect, with another canned response that says, you know, something like, hey, it was great to speak to you this week. Um, here's the proposal outlining everything we, we talked about. Here's that link. And when you're ready to get started, here's the link where you can open your account. Um, and so that's, and so then I just fire off, fire that off to the client. And um, another tool that I heavily, heavily use, and I've used it for years, is called followup.cc. Mm-hmm. Um, and so usually when I send off that proposal to the client, I'll also BCC um, one week at followup.cc and that'll basically give me a reminder one week later, hey, you should probably follow up on this proposal. Um, 
And so that's basically the the process. And then you know, if if the client signs up, if they if they go through and and open their account, um, like basically they follow that link, they go to the purchase page, they 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 purchase and subscribe to their plan. From there, I I then send another canned response <laughs> um, to to my team, to my project manager, and to the writer who who I'm assigning to that client, um, saying you know, hey, new client just signed up. Here's all their information. Here's their email address, their their company name, their name. This is the plan that they've signed up for. Um, and, you know, go ahead and get started. And then it, it it's basically handed over to Cat, my project manager, who who sends up who sends an email to the client, um, uh, a canned response. And this is coming from Help Scout at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and, and that basically says something like, you know, let nice to meet you. Uh, let's get started. The, f- the first step will be to schedule your kickoff call. Um, and then she'll, she'll schedule that, that kickoff call with the client and with our, our writer. Um, I think she used Cal- she, she uses Calendly for that as well. Um, and, and then they, they do that kickoff call. So a couple of days later, they, they complete the kickoff call. And then she has another canned response from help scout, and stop me if I'm completely boring you at this point, but um, no, this is your, it's so eloquent. You're making it sound so simple and so obvious. It's like, <laughs> um, well, we'll yeah. So, so at once that kickoff call is completed, you know, usually like a, a couple of days later, um, she sends another can canned response from help scout to the client saying, you know, great to, great to speak to you today. The next step would be for you to fill out this getting started form. Um, and that response contains a link to a page on our website, which has a form. It's like a really long form that the client fills out, um, uh, giving us access to their WordPress, access to their Google Analytics, and a number of other things, their, their email tool, all, all that stuff. Uh, basically, we get all that stuff collected all in one place, uh, and then that comes back to us, and then we'll, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll be able to get up and running and, and get them like get their blog set up and get us access to all that and, and then we can start getting to work. Wow, and so, like, I mean, it sounds, make it sound really easy, but it's obviously not. Like, what's something that you tried and totally didn't work? Oh, I mean, all those pieces did not exist from day one. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, the, you know, we slowly built up that process over over time and we're even still improving it today. Like, um, like that form where right at the end of that process where we collect all their information that didn't exist for probably the first four or five months of audience ops. Um, we kind of just asked them for different pieces over email and, and it, and it, it was like five or six different emails back and forth before we got everything that we needed. Um, so it was pretty obvious. All right, we just need everything all in one shot. Yeah. Um, and what's the, uh, what's the limiting factors for, for scaling them? Because I mean, they're, they're, it sounds pretty automated, but there's still a lot of people and a lot of moving parts. Yeah, the probably the biggest scaling issue that I'm just continuously dealing with is is just growing the team of writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for a while, for the first few months, it was mostly freelance writers that we work with, and and we still have a number of freelance writers on the team. But as our client list grows. Um, their their workload grows, so we just started converting a couple of those writers to full time employees at Audience Ops, awesome. um, and uh, and so they're basically just writing full time for for Audience Ops, and I so I think it's a it's a combination of um, uh, ramping up 
freelancers to the point where they can go full time and then continuously bringing in new writers into the team uh, to get them started. And, and I'm, this is something that I haven't totally perfected yet, but it's um, I'm, I'm actually another thing that I'm working on like right now is is a, a better hiring funnel to bring new writers in. And um, I mean, this is getting off like into a tangent. I don't, I don't know how interested you are in that, but uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. What's um, what are some so what are some other pain points around client communication? Um, I would probably say one one issue that we deal with from time to time, not with all clients, but just a few of them, is is they take a while to get back to us, and um, and sometimes we need their feedback in order for us to move forward, uh, especially in the very first you know week or two when we when we send them their initial blog topics like we need their their sign off or, or their feedback for us to make edits um, before we can even start writing the first article and if that feedback is delayed you know two or three weeks then that means we're not going to publish their first article until like week five or week six mm-hmm. um, and really our, we, we try to aim to have that first article published by by week four um, so that's that that's an issue, and and basically what happens is you know Cat just kind of manually follows up every every couple of days to to kind of bug them about it. Um, is there is there like a reminder? Is that all quite? Is that all manual? Does Cat just say look at her list every single day? That's basically manual. Um, like the email that she sends is manual, but the um, we have another Trello board that she basically uses to manage the onboarding of new clients. So in that first month of, of a client's engagement with us, uh, like that first month looks very different from all the other months. Uh, basically, the first month is where there, there are a number of things that need to get done. And so just like our other Trello board where we track the progress of an article through the production line, we have this onboarding Trello board to, to track the onboarding process. So it's like, okay, kick, kickoff call was, was done and then getting started form has been completed. Um, Initial topics have been uh, internally completed, and, and we do we do like an internal uh, strategy review process before we even send them to the client. So so that step was completed, and then it's sent to the client, and then client's approval on those, and and in some cases the client has us create an, an email course. So that's also part of our onboarding process, um, and uh, and so she she kind of tracks the progress there, and and so whenever she tra- she checks that Trello board, if something is is behind or or delayed um that's when she knows to uh to to send the client uh you know um a reminder the other thing i should mention is um the day that a that a client signs up and and i sent that email over to to my project manager and the writer saying saying hey we have a new client um the other thing that she does internally is our, our project manager is um she she'll then lay out the milestone dates for that new client to get their onboarding completed and she'll inform she'll she'll send an email internally from from her to the writer to the to the assist we also have assistants that we assign to to clients as well so she's sending a group email to um the writer the assistant and me that says hey these are the milestone dates for this new client um you know uh internal topics uh, finished by Friday, um, and or like like topics are finished by Friday. We we finish internal review by Monday. We send to the client by Tuesday, 
Um, uh, first first article draft is started the following Monday. First article draft is is due the Monday after that. The the preview is it is sent to the client on this date, and the first published date for that client will be this date. And so from day one, we we know all the all those milestone dates, mm-hmm. um, and for the most part, we hit them, especially when the clients are are pretty quick to give us feedback. But then sometimes you know the feedback causes causes delays and then we need to kind of re reassess those milestone dates yeah it makes it makes a lot of sense uh a lot of process it's great yeah um <laughs> so so the client i mean i remember when i was when i was consulting full-time um we like anytime i never i guess i never lost the client but there were definitely times when i could tell that the client had like lost um some confidence in me Mm-hmm. And it it was usually because either I had asked for something from them and they were just slow to getting back, and so I, the whole thing was delayed. And so they don't see it as that; they see it as like I'm now a week late on delivering something, or I'm like heads down, and so I don't communicate for like three days at a time or five days at a time. And they're like, "What's going on?" Right. Um, and so there's definitely like points where I felt like I was like, "Wow, they they're a little nervous right now. Like that's not good." Um, and so I, I assume that uh, you know since since it doesn't, you know, you're not in communication with clients every single day. That there's, there's, there, there's, you guys are sensitive to the way your clients feel. Like, I was, you know, yeah. it it seems a little direct to say, hey, what's the most popular reason for client churn? But like, in in the sense of like uh, keeping clients, like you know, keeping clients on board and excited is probably a huge part of keeping clients. Um, so and how so how do you think about that? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, so there are a few things that I've like a few trends or, or patterns that I've that I've started to notice it by this point. Um, I wouldn't say that. So, okay. So, like talking specifically about that first month of getting a client on board, the the issues that pop up here don't necessarily cause cancellations. Um, cancellations happen for other reasons, usually usually by like the third or fourth month. Um, so, I mean, usually cancellations happen because it's like it's either like a startup and they need to you know allocate their marketing budget elsewhere or sometimes they they decide to hire a content person in-house but even then we have clients who we work directly with their content person so you know um cancellations have happened for those reasons but in the first month i've noticed one trend repeatedly and another thing that pops up too so so one thing that happens is we work primarily with um founders of online businesses and they are super super busy and probably the number one reason why they they hired audience ops in the first place is because they're too busy to even think about content marketing themselves and they don't want to think about it they they want to delegate it to someone and they don't want to even give us any input whatsoever even in the first few weeks and this isn't the case for all of our clients um and we we have designed the service to be completely hands off. Like you you can you can have us work and and we'll be set it and forget it. But really that that dynamic doesn't happen until like month two and going forward. In month one we we really do need your feedback so that we know that that we've got the topics nailed, um, so that we're we're really understanding your 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 customers your target audience. Like we need to interview you and have you know a call and 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 get your feedback and, and approval on our topics and the email course. You know, otherwise, the, our content is just not going to be as successful as it, as it could be. Um, so, so that can be a challenge. You know, sometimes it 
it, it can be they're they're just taking a while to get back to us or you know um, that that sort of thing. Um, the other thing that that's happened like once or twice uh, is the client. It's like the opposite issue is the cl- the client is is anxious to get going and they want us to like expedite our process and and rush rush our process and get that very first blog post published as soon as possible even sooner than than we're capable of publishing it and um and we're very careful about this and we don't even honor this request anymore we did once and it actually caused the client it, it was the the one time so far that that I've had to fire a client um because because she wasn't happy and because our our team was completely stressed out by it and basically what happened was um she signed up and she was like I want the first blog post published within 2 weeks from the day that she signed up and I mean if you're just a solo writer knocking out a, an article within a week is is not a problem but if you're an operation like us um, it's not possible because we we have multiple p- people involved. We do a heavy amount of internal quality assurance, and even before we start writing anything, we do a heavy amount of research and and interviews and and strategy sessions internally. So it's like, so so basically, what what I told her was like, you know what? All right, we can expedite this by one week, basically publishing it by the third week instead of the fourth week. And but but what that's going to mean is, um, you're. You, there, there's going to be zero time for us to make any edits or, or revisions before the publish date. And so what, what we've tried to do, and this is something that we learned early on, we had to adjust. We, like one article in our production line actually takes like four weeks from start to finish. And so, and so we've purposely built in an extra week of buffer time between the day that Kat sends the preview to the client and the day that it, that it publishes live. And that gives us like a seven day period for the client to, to take a look, give us any feedback, give us any revisions and we can make some edits before, before the publish date. Mm-hmm. Um, but when that's rushed, you know, that's just not possible. Like we, we would have to send the preview uh, like Friday and the, and the article is going to publish on Monday and you know, our team doesn't, doesn't usually work over the weekend. So um you know, making any final like last minute adjustments are are not going to be possible. And then if you're not happy with with the with the article after it goes live, it's like then you're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy, and and it's like kind of what did you you expect? Like we didn't have any time to to get up and running with this. So, um, yeah, that makes that makes total sense. It's like a it's off from the get go a recipe for disaster with her. Yep. It's too bad. So uh, so why does it make more sense to do productized services for? Um, for you instead of for audience ops I should say instead of just doing client to client you know retainers like long term retainers because couldn't you up the price every every time uh well what do you mean by retain like we like you know our clients are subscribed for for you know ongoing subscriptions of the service well what do you mean like what what would be what would be different Sure. I guess the the difference in my mind is that you you don't you don't publish a price on your on your homepage and like if you if you were just consider yourself if you never heard the the term um, productized uh, uh, services then you would just go the the old consulting route of just saying this is what I do and this is what the package is this is and, and not publishing prices I guess and yeah and then you could change the prices like maybe some people you'd give 
it a little bit less for and some people you jack the prices way up because you know they're going to be a pain in the butt because they're a bigger team or something or maybe they can pay more like what's what's the yeah that? yeah it's a good question um th- i mean that's pretty similar to what i used to do years ago as a as a freelance web designer you know i didn't really publish my prices and and i gave different quotes to different clients um but i think the productized service uh you know for for me from my perspective is um to to build it in this way to launch it in the, in this way that's that's what made it um something that I'd actually want to do other like I I have no interest in in being a freelance consultant anymore um and one of my my personal um one of my personal goals when I started audience ops was you know from day 1 like I'm not going to be the person writing the articles for clients. I, I knew from day one that that I'd I'd start to build a team, um, and my my role in the company is to is to build up these systems and make them efficient and and build the value proposition, and and focus on who our target clients are. Um, you know, really like running running it as a business and not not requiring me to be the expert or the talent or the person spending my hours delivering the work. Um, so that's that's the the whole concept behind building it as a productized service because by doing it as a very focused service like we just do blog articles and email newsletters for clients you know a couple other details in in between the social media posts and whatnot but it's all related to to their blog um you know by focusing on that and not doing not throwing in web design and not throwing in video production and not throwing in you know infographics or something that we don't really do um you know, it allows us to stay focused. It allows us to easily build up these systems like I described and easily bring a team into the process. Um, so that's on, on like the internal operation side, but then on the sales side, it all, I think it also, it's, it's much easier to sell this way because it's like, look, we solve this very specific problem. You're a software company and you know, you need to be doing content marketing. You don't have the resources to do it in house. Um, this is this is the solution to make sure that you are doing content marketing the right way, doing it with with a level of quality um, that that you're happy with, and um, so it like if if you if you're a software owner and you identify with that, you see our sales page, and it's like that speaks directly to to the specific problem that I'm thinking about, you know. Whereas you compare that to a consultant or or a freelancer. You know that's not so clear. It's it. You might have a conversation. It's like, well, how can you help me? Or, or I, I think I need this, this, and this. Um, you know, how many hours is that going to cost me for you to do that? It's it's a much messier process, and it and it's and it's actually more difficult for the client to buy that way, and it's more difficult for the consultant to sell that way. And that's why I'm I, I've I've been so, you know, obsessed with productized services the, these last couple of years is, is because um, it's 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 much easier to build a, a value proposition and it's easier to sell it makes sense yeah and shortening uh, the place one of the big places where you lose the most money when you're consulting um is is in that um the proposal phase when you're spending a lot of energy figuring out who the client is and getting them to sign on the dotted line um yeah i, I totally could take you know a quarter of of all of your effort for a whole project and that's which is crazy that's not where you should spend all your time so that makes total sense exactly yeah that's a big big part of it i used to spend days just creating one proposal and with like what like a 50 50 chance that it, that it'll even be accepted um, yeah 
if you're lucky too. Right. I, I definitely had projects where it was, you know, I was completely in the dark about what my chances even were. Yeah. And actually going back to that, what you, you said about, um, you know, giving different clients, different prices. Uh, it's a good, it's a good point. And I, I do know actually for a fact that, um, we're probably leaving some money on the table with, with some of our clients. Like mm. we know that some of our clients look at us like, this is super cheap. We're getting such a good deal, you know, because they're, they're pretty large companies and, and our, our price is like nothing to them. Other clients, I, I think, you know, the, the price is kind of like just right in their budget. Um, and so, you know, there's the question of like, maybe someday we'll, we'll like remove our prices from the website and give different price quotes to different clients. But I, I, to be honest, I'm not a fan of that. Um, and to go along with the productized service methodology, it's look, we're, we're building the solution. I know what, I know what our costs are to deliver what we do. And, and I know, I know a price that makes sense. Um, I mean, we might increase prices across the board down the road. Um, but I, I think it's, I, I like having one standard price or, or a couple tiers that are standardized, just like any other product that you'd buy, you know, like a SaaS or, or a product on Amazon. That's like, this product does this thing and this is the price tag. It just makes it easier and simpler and um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm also kicking around the, like I'm imagining a Venn diagram in my head where productized consulting is, is one circle and the other one's value-based pricing. Um, which, or you can also do neither one of them when you're consulting or running an agency. So that's that's totally doable too. But uh, but yeah, there's like maybe times when your I guess your clients fall in into both categories, um, or just fall into the productized services category where they're getting just like the value is so much more than than the cost. It's like if you actually did value based pricing, it'd be you know you'd be charging them ten times as much or something. Um, yeah, and I th- I think in in a way. We, we do value-based pricing and I think most productized services do um, mm-hmm. in that this is what we do. We, we know that it has a value if, if you're a certain type of company uh, with a certain type of size and, um, and like we're not charging based on our time, you know, um, and it, it, we're, we're not charging based on the number of hours we, we put into each client. It's, it's just, again, have, making sure that everything is so standardized that we... We know, give or take, how how long one article takes to produce, and we know and we know how many different people and different resources go into it. So, um, it it kind of all like the math kind of works out in the end. It, it and it takes some some trial and error to figure that out. You know, it certainly did for us, but um, yeah. Very cool. So, what's the what's the next exciting thing for Audience Ops? What's is it? Is there a new a new product coming out? Is there is it just are you all focused on on scaling what you have? What's what's up? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm focused on two things. One one is to continue to scale up the service. Um, you know, we're looking to to kind of double the the client base this year, and we're definitely on track for that. Um, but that's going to mean more writers, sales, bringing on sales reps, and it's like the systems and and the processes that got us to the first half of that are going to need to evolve and, and scale along with, with it going forward. So I'm, I'm really focused on that. Um, but then the other thing that we've started to do is uh, release other products, you know, not service-related products. So we've got a couple of plugins. One has already been released. That's, that's the Content Upgrades plugin. It's kind of an email opt-in tool. Um, so that's already been released. That's like a, a WordPress plugin that we sell 
depending on the license, it's like $49 to $149. Um, and then we've got two more plugins that are in the works. W one is like almost almost finished and ready to, to go into like beta testing. And that's like a landing pages plugin. Um, and our the thinking here is that these are tools that that we're building internally and we're using internally for for our clients. And that's how the content upgrade started. That's how the landing pages plugin will go. Um, you know, when we create an email course for, for a client, uh, we're, we're gonna start creating a landing page to promote that email course using our plugin. Um, we, we create these bonus opt-ins for each article and we've built our own plugin to allow us to put that email opt-in and, and the response email onto the client's site. So, um, and then we're gonna do something down the road with, um, probably with reports where, because uh, we send a client their monthly report, um, but we want to, I, I want to like automate that so that, so that we can see basically like content marketing analytics, um, grabbing like specific traffic to specific articles and email opt-ins and, and, and putting that all into a, a report. Like currently that's something that we do manually. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so, you know, we'll, we'll build a plugin for that and then eventually clean it up and make it make it ready to, to sell as a, as a standalone product. So that, that's the next phase of, of what we're going to be doing this, this year and next year. And it's a great argument too for productized consulting and the, the once you standard, once you get the processes down, you start freeing up time and you start freeing up that time to build tools for, you know, freeing up more time uh, and also spinning off and, and selling separately if, if that's also interesting. So that's, that's pretty cool. It's a great argument for it. Yeah, I think the idea is to kind of diversify um, our revenue a bit, and and you know the s selling software is w would be much more scalable than um, than the service. I mean, that being said, the service is probably more profitable because it's higher price point and all that. But um, and then the other th well, the the other thing to go along with the products idea is is we'll probably do some sort of educational product like like a course for for clients who kind of want to implement their own content marketing themselves but they don't necessarily want to hire audience ops to do it for them um it's kind of selling like our our methodology of doing content marketing and teaching teaching all that in some sort of educational product cool very cool so what's the um you know, what's the rest of the uh, of this podcast and this course looking at what's what's on the what's on the horizon for it uh this po the productized podcast yeah uh yeah so this is something new um that i'll be launching in the next two weeks or so and this you know this is not from audience ops this is just just from myself um and uh i've already recorded about 20 episodes cool. and um and the idea and so most of them are just case studies with productized service owners and uh and so I've 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 spent the last month or so recording these episodes, and I've now got most of them edited, and I, I set up the, the website. The basically the, the last step, probably next week, is I'll I'll just start to schedule these episodes out to to publish throughout throughout the rest of this year. Um, so the idea for me was like I spend almost all my time working on audience ops, and so this is kind of a side project, um, and I wanted to just devote like one month to it, and get it all packaged up schedule it to go out and then just kind of be done with it so I can get right right back onto audience ops. That's fair. Makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Do uh, Deadlines for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, this, this has been super helpful for me. This is, uh, I have some good notes and um, 
yeah, it's it's super helpful as we as we continue to build for for Project Pulse and, and think about the client communication uh, kind of struggles and I mean a lot of the stuff that you have built into your um, into your workflow right now are things that we're thinking about unifying under under one roof. So, uh, in you know hopefully helping a lot of people who don't have as good of a as good of a hold on the on the processes as you do. So, um, yeah, it's super yeah. exciting to get uh, some validation around that and uh, and I'll definitely. You know, once we have the the first uh, the alpha open, we'll. I'll, I'd love to get your opinion on it. Oh, absolutely! Definitely keep me posted on that. Um, I've I've been a fan of what you guys have been doing with, with Project Pulse up up until now, so I'm really excited to see how how things iterate from here. And uh, I hope I hope this conversation wasn't too boring for anyone. But <laughs> if if it was, they're, they're they're crazy. This is actually this is the good stuff. So cool. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for tuning in today. Get all the show notes for this entire season at productizepodcast.com. And to get my free productized crash course, where I share my best strategies for launching and sustaining your productized service business, head over to productizecourse.com. All right, time to get back to working on the business.